0: Welcome to Supply Circles, stories from the innovators, disruptors and improvers in supply chain management today, brought to you by AI Group.
1: Hello, I'm James Scotland, and this is Supply Circles, a podcast that helps business managers everywhere to better understand modern day supply chain. It's a podcast where we seek out the latest ideas, concepts, tactics, and strategies for addressing the current three big challenges of business management, digitalization, decarbonization, and ongoing disruptions. You know, many people say the COVID years brought the back office issues of supply chain to the forefront of our business. The difficulty of managing rapidly changing demand and supply, of balancing sales and operational planning, often called SNOP. The complexity of managing inventory and logistics and the continual need to digitalize and update processes and systems have forced business managers everywhere to see supply chain management in a new light. So in this podcast series, I seek to uncover on your behalf the current thinking and the successes of leading supply chain doers and thinkers and leaders. Now, Before we start, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for your comments and support. The feedback so far has been terrific, really encouraging. And if you have any ideas for the show or just want to give some feedback, please let me know. Hit me up at james.scotland one t james.scotland at argroup.com.au or at our LinkedIn page or at my LinkedIn page. I'd love to hear from you. In today's episode, I want to investigate innovation, market growth and leadership, particularly as it pertains to the global food industry. The food industry is a sort of a a, a classic example of the challenges of supply chain. My guest is a recognised industry leader in the food industry, an innovation practitioner, a business leader with a hell of a CV, and a successful track record that we'd all love to have. She's currently the Executive Director for Innovation and Growth for Simplot Australia, My guest, of course, is the irrepressible Angeline Acheria. Angeline has more than 20 years' innovation and leadership experience in blue-chip multinationals such as Mondelez International, KFC, Frontier, and Mahars. What a CV. And she now runs Simplot, or she's now the top of Simplot. For those who don't know, Simplot Australia is one of Australia's leading agricultural and food manufacturing businesses. They employ almost 2,000 people across Australia and New Zealand and operate five significant manufacturing facilities. As well as operating iconic Aussie brands like Birdseye, Legahoo, Chico and Edgel. it also has diverse operations that include the manufacture of potato, vegetable, seafood and sauces to supply the frozen shelf-stable and chilled products to retail and food service customers. This is a big intro, but it's worth it because there's much more to Angeline than just her impressive and demanding day job. Amongst her many other activities and involvements, Angeline is the Australian Chair for Food Innovation G100 Mission Millions. The G100 Mission Million is a global group of 100 women leaders looking to create an equal, progressive and inclusive environment for women worldwide. So Angeline is the perfect person to ask about innovation, creating in demand, and delivering leadership in a rapidly and demanding changing industry. Welcome to the show, Angeline. I've got to say, I think you are what we call an overachiever.
0: Oh, hello, James. So good to see you and meet you and uh, and have a chat with you. Thank you for that lineup. Was that me? I kind of sit here and go, gosh, I hope I'm not that
2: old. <laughs> <laughs> well, not that old. Uh,
1: I, I, I it's been a while since we, we first met. I think we first met when you were taking a sabbatical from Corporate Life and you were running the Food Innovation Centre at Monash. Uh, so how about we start there? What is innovation? You've been doing it for a long time. What is it?
0: Oh, it's a really good question and, and a good one to kind of anchor, I think, our conversation today, right? So for me, I'll describe the innovation definition that I go by, which is really around purposeful creativity and change that creates value. So for me, innovation is not just a big, sexy stuff. It has to be one purposeful because it's not just always about serendipitous Um, and it's about any change that creates value. So it doesn't matter where in the supply chain or in the global value chain you are or what you're doing or what organisation, whatever you are doing. And creates value. So I'm at the front facing at the consumer land, if you will, and part of that is new products, new services, and therefore that creates value. And there's a value that is intrinsically transacted, right? So whether that's dollars or it's market share or it's other things in terms of new products. Um, when I was at the Food Innovation Centre, a lot of that was also value in services, but also in an academic research world, the value there is around papers published or, you know, um, creating a better planet in a world that we live in. So all of that is intrinsically value that you need to create um, at the end of the day through innovation.
1: In the food, there's a lot of innovation. It's constant innovation. And thanks to people like you, um, the changes in the Australian diet the way that we eat has happened. You know, we're now able to satisfy celiacs, gluten-free um, I don't know, nut, nut allergies, there's all sorts of stuff. You can basically eat whatever suits your diet. How do you sort of identify trends and needs and the opportunity? How do you, how do you work that out? Because there's so many choices.
0: I agree. So many choices and, you know, humans are very varied and we all have our own needs, right? So I think you hit the nail on the head is is how do you actually develop and design products to the right market and the right consumer? Because, you know, I've been part of many journeys along my career where you've sometimes created something because you thought that was the right thing or you didn't have enough consumer market and customer insight and then you went off and created something only to find that it miserably failed out there in the marketplace (laughs) so you've got to really you know understand there's massive big trends that are happening globally in terms of the food and agriculture landscape so you know at the end of the day it boils down to really three things in my head right one the consumer always wants convenience so give me something (laughs) Time, you know, makes my life easy and all of that. They want health to levels of health, right? Levels of health could mean. You know, I'm a sports junkie and this is the stuff I want to, you know, I'm, you know, preparing for my family and I want more nutrition, more veggies with for my kids, all the way down to, yeah, I'm interested in health, but I also want my indulgence as well, right? So you've got to really cater for that. And then the last thing probably in this space and the the three-legged stool, if you will, is around price or the value. So what value can you offer that all of those attributes to in a product or in a service um, that you do? I guess in the case of FMCG, it's usually products.
1: Yeah, one of the reasons why I wanted to chat is because the, the recent emergence of ready-to-cook, ready-to-eat. I've had it explained to me that shows like MasterChef and whatever have said to people that cooking is for once-a-week date night or family night, and the rest of the time you just have these really quick meals to keep the keep the family fed. Cooking is not something you do every night. You just buy the ready-to-eat food or the ready-to-cook food. You make the meal and you get it out of the way. That creates challenges for you, though, doesn't it? You've got to have this sort of fresh food somehow ready for everyone, everywhere.
0: Oh, always a challenge, I think, um, In certainly in terms of getting products from A to, to Z, right? I, I would say it's interesting you've heard that, James, because I think there's a certain consumer who is after that type of food, right? They want more convenience. They don't want to cook. And, like, sometimes I just don't want to get into that kitchen and I just say to my husband, that's it. I'm not cooking tonight. (laughs) We've got to find other ways. And now you have so many choices. Obviously, you can go for those convenient meals where you really have nothing much to do but to zap it. Or you may want to still um, do some things where you finish it off, like your chilled pastas and your sauces and you still add anything to it. Mm -hmm. Or guess what? You just go to the Uber Eats and uh, menu log and Bob's your uncle at the end of the day, right? So, as a consumer and as a society, we've probably never had so many choices and options available to us now.
1: Yeah, I went to a restaurant a little while ago. Actually, it was a while ago. It was probably before COVID. Uh, and my friends and I were sitting there. Uh, I think it was a Thai restaurant. we was sitting there. And we were the only ones in the restaurant. But there was like 30 or 40 uh, Uber Eats or whatever drivers coming and going, and you see mm-hmm. that in Hardware Lane in Melbourne where there's hardly anyone sitting there, but there's, there's a real trend, isn't it? That, um, that Certainly home
2: delivery is. type stuff,
0: yeah. And back to that whole thing around remember the three trends I mentioned convenience, right? Yeah, yeah. convenient as I don't actually can't be bothered going out, I can't be bothered dressing up and you know, be social, so I'll just order in and it's easy that way.
1: One of the challenges for the food industry, though, is um, that um, uh, innovation needs to address the fact of sustainability. It's, we, we, we're not particularly good in the way we manage our our food resources, are we? And, and when when we're a long way from the rest of the world, that must be a challenge in itself. From you, we're, we're limited in in what's on offer,
0: I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think you raise a couple of um, things there, right? So. Absolutely, I think, you know, ESG, you know, triple bottom line, sustainability are now becoming what I would call table stakes at the end of the day. So from a consumer land, you know, they want um, brands and they're looking for brands to do all of those things. So probably where once... I think, across the industry was it's a nice thing to do. It's no longer a nice thing to do, right? Uh, And therefore, as a brand owner and, you know, as an innovator, you need to innovate sustainably as opposed to thinking of sustainability as another prong to do. So Uh now innovate sustainably is what I say, and that means actually looking at our resources. So, um, you know, the inputs that we use from an agricultural perspective, the land that it grows in or a vertical farm and grows in how it comes to you the food miles it travels and then how do you um, convert it and process it into the pack format that you use so the type of packaging obviously you know packaging is becoming a huge issue and you know that waste along the way as well and then how do you do it in an optimized way so that from a consumer perspective you're also trying to minimize as much waste as possible mm. So you know as a product developer now. Now, you're probably thinking of so many facets that you never did. Certainly, I never did when I was a young product developer back in the day. Don't ask me to do that again. But um, it's certainly come a very, very long way where you're now holistically essentially looking at the total food system as opposed to just creating another new product.
1: And that's part of what we're talking about in this this podcast, this whole end-to-end type of idea that you can't look at it as uh, a separate parts. you've got to look at it as the, the whole thing and, and, and food is is classic there I'll pick up some of those issues in a, in a second but but you, how did you end up in innovation <laughs> well I, I think you know I, I've heard you speak elsewhere where you've said that you were uh, a farm girl from Fiji is, is that right
0: Yes, yes. I grew up in Fiji, so I'm Fijian Indian descent. And, you know, my parents migrated uh, for a better life with their children to Australia. So, but in my formative years, I had, you know, enormous fun um, spending school holidays at my grandparents' farms. Um, and they were sugarcane farmers. My dad was in agriculture, so we were always at agriculture show. I had like chickens that would, you know, be very lovely chickens I had um, that will go up for shows and win trophies and things like that. So I had the chick of the year or something like that, right? Don't ask me what we did <laughs> afterwards. That's not what something we worry about. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I think those kind of things really stemmed in me and inspired and sparked this um, curiosity of food and how food comes to be. And then what else could you do? So it was a no brainer almost to then go to uni and go, um, oh, I'll study food. And the advice to me was, well, actually, yeah, pick food because at the end of the day, everyone always needs to eat, right? So you'll always have a job. Very pragmatic. That was my dad. so here I am 20 something odd years later and look I um I, I want to say, James, I fell into innovation because that's the path I needed. No, I didn't. I actually, it was just opportunities that came. And I think some of the things that were probably, um, I think the way that perhaps I'm naturally wired where I'm always tinkering or I'm always looking for improvement. So that creative outlet in food design was exactly that and the fact that you could uh do something and create something that met a need and a desire from a consumer perspective and sometimes actually create that need that the consumer didn't even know that they wanted as well, right? So that was all the fun of it is unearthing those insights, then designing and creating the offer and then how do you actually communicate it to them so that it does become sticky on the shelf or online or wherever or through a restaurant or cafe that you're um, sending it through.
1: Yeah, it's a really thoughtful process, isn't it? Yeah, what, it is. Well, Stuart, being thoughtful and, and innovative, I was travelling the world and we won't talk about what happened then either. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what, I wonder, when I when that was happening, you'd, you'd sort of go to places and, and eat their food and it'd be fabulous. But now I can go to Melbourne and eat every food in the world. Uh, I can uh, – we're becoming more homogenised. Uh, you know, I can, I can get some of that – Home delivery food from a you know ready to ready to eat type place, and they can give me every possible selection around the world. Are we more homogenised as a world, or is it still very is food still very exciting and different
0: around the world? Oh yeah, I'm biased, so I would always say that I think we you know food is very much exciting. I mean, how blessed are we to live in you know absolutely, I'm absolutely yeah. living in Melbourne or in in Australia where we have such great food, right? We have such a melting pot through our migration of cultures who've bought all of their recipes and all of that. You don't actually even need to travel the world to now try those foods you're probably buying in your travels. So I think we've become probably, I like to call it – so we all heard of globalization, I like to call it sort of glocalization. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, you kind of bring the globe and localize it to the taste. It's like very in the early days. Do you remember when the the Chinese first came? I think it was the Golding time, right? Back in the day what was the offerings that you had in a Chinese restaurant? Probably a beef and black bean, a lemon chicken, and all of that.
1: Sweet and sour pork,
2: yeah. uh, <laughs>
0: Exactly, yeah. right? To fast forward now, where you're actually getting regional Shanghainese or, mm-hmm. you know, one jar of cuisine, yeah. how wonderful is that? And, you know, that just, you know, I know blows my mind to go, wow, what else can we be getting in our little backyard of, of Melbourne or Australia, if you think about it?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's exciting though, isn't it? Uh, but how do we feed all these people and how do we do that? There's so many changes. I, I read somewhere recently, I think this is right, that uh, we're not eating as much meat as we used to. Is that, is that right? Do you know about that? That yeah. meat consumption has dropped as people consider healthier options.
0: I think, depending on what data source you look at, and we're really. so i if I step back a little bit just to kind of um give some context to that, As societies evolve around the world and they become much more wealthy and Mm -hmm. people start getting jobs, the the first thing people go for is protein. And now protein can come in many sources. It can come from an animal source, it can come from a vegetable source, from a dairy source, from nuts and other things, right? So as societies develop and populations develop, they are looking for protein. And I guess what's happened over in the time and probably most recently, you would have heard about the alternative protein movement, right? So essentially that sort of category has started to really answer the question, are we going to have enough food and enough protein to feed to you know two billion more mouths uh, by 2050. It is yeah. right, so that's huge when you think about probably the pressure of, on our planet mm-hmm. uh, and some of the challenges that we see in the form of climate change that is coming at us right now. So for me, you know, it's it's really not about over. T- you know, are people eating less animal protein? I think it's actually people are making some choices and complementing and there's a bigger population of of course there's a population of people who are vegetarians people who are vegans would never go there but then you have this bigger population of what i call flexitarians or reductarians Mm -hmm. like me Mm -hmm. who are choosing uh in my diet to incorporate more complementary protein sources so not always from the animal source if you will
1: yeah i think that probably makes makes sense logically i mean we we still eat meat but just have more choices now we want to (laughs) want to mix up our diet as well as what we're we're eating the difference between you know what we eat and what we choose to eat i guess um is innovation stifled in australia because of the structure of our supply chains we've got two or three big supermarket chains, we've got a number of big big restaurants. Are we stifled by that? Do they sort of dictate or does it give you a bit of leeway to sort of go to them and say, hey, let's try something new?
0: I, th- I wouldn't call it stifle. Uh, I have heard that term before, right? I think in my experience in Australia, and I've worked internationally across many global markets as well, I would probably say we, we are quite a unique market, especially in the retail side because we are so concentrated here compared to a UK or a US um, and Europe where we, we really do have the two big chains plus, you know, another one emerging, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and the challenges or the Opportunities, if you think in Australia um, is, is we have a lot of our food and businesses are uh, small and medium enterprises, right? Um, you only have a large full of multinationals really that kind of operate here. So the outlet for innovation is through our that retail channel or through a food service channel or the very now emerging e-commerce channel. But at the end of the day, we are really servicing one up to 30 million people. So innovation is always going to be limited on a big island in the world, right? Um, And I think the opportunity for the agri-food sector, so agriculture and food, is to start to look global, look at yeah. Asia, look at you know, And we are in such a unique position uh, in terms of where we sit at the doorstep of all of Asia, and that's huge, right, um, and the role that the Australian food bowl can play. So I would think it's more rather than a challenge, is actually more an opportunity in how businesses start to reframe, if you will, the problem to solve.
1: You're a fabulous advocate for the food industry. I, I, I think um, one of the great – I want to come back and talk about uh, leadership and, and sustainability and some other issues um, after the break. Before we do that, one of the great innovators in Australia is a, a lady called Ronnie Khan. I'm sure you know Ronnie uh, from uh, OzHarvest. We're, we're two fans of her. Do you want to just explain what she does and how you see her leadership?
0: Yeah, actually, she just got a leadership award the other week. I think I noticed. I can't remember where it was from, but, you know, absolutely, it was kudos to Ronnie. And look, she's one of the, I would say, one of the role models I look at, um, you know, in terms of what she's really done. And what she's really addressing is food security and food waste. When you think about a country like ours, where really a lot of the stats say that we can make food for 60 million people. Yet I hear stats from Did places. Did you like, say
1: sixty million?
0: Sixty million, wow. yes. Wow. Right? That's how much capacity we have in Australia and we've had that for the last so many years. But yet the stats that I hear from places like Food Bank and no doubt with Oz Harvest as well is that one out of three children come to school hungry.
1: Unbelievable. Right.
0: Um, and you know, in the pensioner world. You know, I I can't remember the stat, but it's quite shocking that our pensioners also sometimes are not getting enough food, enough nutrition to eat as well. Um, So it's just the equation never makes sense, right? You go, hang on, we can grow so much. And we can produce so much, but it's not getting to the right people in the right places with the right affordability. Mm, mm, Um, mm. And therefore, I think the work that Ronnie has done, and she's done several of this, and I've been watching her over the years, I've had the opportunity to meet her as well. But, you know, she is trying to make a dent in this world and the problem to solve around food waste and food security. And, you know, we need more Ronnies out there that can help do that. And there are many other organisations with Oz Harvest, Food Bank and others who continue to do that. But we also need to think because we're such an agricultural country, we need to make sure that we're maximising all of our crops and our produce to the best we can. And guess where, you know, at the end of the day, the food industry is very great at converting some of this into great new tasting products. So I think there's a huge role that we can play connecting our agriculture and our food manufacturing much more better as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've heard stats of, you know, like 40% of food, 40% of farm produce is is dumped on farm because it doesn't reach standards. That's just unsustainable. I mean, that's just, does this matter?
0: Totally. And why did we create the standards that we did? You know, how have we trained the consumer to not want a bendy banana? And a banana needs to be this length, this width or whatever it is, right? But ultimately, at the end of the day, it still has the right nutrition profile and everything. So we're almost creating, if you will, the ford model you can have it in every color you know and it's going to be black right?
1: yeah, <laughs> right. yeah that's right uh, that's right when i grew up i uh, you know I, I grew up eating really knobbly weird shaped tomatoes i'm pretty old except <laughs> i'm pretty old um, but also we used to go with the sniff tests you know you'd open yeah. the milk up and sniff it and go oh no that's okay but now you've got used by dates and i think there's a fair bit of wastage because of these arbitrary food. I'm sure there's a big reason behind all of that. But
0: I think use by data, I wouldn't be doing my job, I have to say, right? Absolutely you need to adhere year to because we don't want anyone having unsafe food. Yeah. But I yeah. think best before um is an opportunity to to evolve and to look at. And maybe that's where the sniff test more comes in. So <laughs> milk use by please um, pay attention to that day. Well
2: to
1: to all the kids out there, yeah, I've made mistakes on that on that one. I bet And this is not good, I can tell you. All right, when we come back, let's talk about uh, your uh, your, uh, other project, the uh, 100 Women.
0: Thank you. If you have supply chain or business improvement challenges, contact AI Group's Business Improvement and Growth Hub. The Big Hub is a library of practical and relevant resources designed to assist member businesses to grow and improve. The Big Hub also includes an extensive network of experienced pre-qualified business improvement consultants. For more details, contact big at AI That's B-I-G at AIgroup.com.au.
1: I'll tell you a funny story, uh, Angelina. A few years ago, I was invited to speak at a conference in Sydney, uh, which I did speak at, called uh, Women in Supply Chains. And they asked Mm -hmm. me to be a subject matter expert. So I emailed them back and said, do you want me to be a subject matter expert on supply chain or women? And the the organizer rang me up and she was in a flap saying, No, 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 no. Don't talk about don't be a subject matter expert on women. And I said, Well, that's good, because I'm not, you know, I'm not, gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna go there. Um, just a it's a funny story. I don't uh, don't try and be a, a subject. I should never be an expert on women, I know that. But you yeah, are like I can't, be- I can't
0: be an expert on
1: men. No, man. no. Men <laughs> are from Mars and women are from somewhere else. That's it. Um Tell me about Missions Millions, it sounds 100, G100 Missions Million.
0: Yeah, so the G100 Mission Million is basically a global organisation and it's run by a lady in India. Um, and I guess the the reason um, that she brought the G100 together, which is really to also influence through places like the United Nations and you know the the G's that happen like the G20s, the G50s around the world. And her vision was really around essentially the problem to solve. We're not going to wait 100 years for gender parity to happen, right? So she's created this movement, and that's exactly what it is. And basically. Um, um, Bought and is bringing together like-minded women um, who are interested in working towards gender parity uh-huh. in their specific areas of interest and their sectors. So G100 is essentially a collective 100 women around the world that come together. And so I'm the Australian chapter for food innovation. Uh-huh. And so I chair from a country, and I guess really my mission is is how do I bring together a 100 women who are passionate about food innovation in our country, um, who are doing fantastic work, whether they be um Farmers and growers, whether they be um, startup, whether they be business leaders or they're scientists, they're engineers, all connected in the world of food innovation, which we know is very broad. Um, So I'm kind of it's very early days and I've just sort of started this. And essentially, I'm looking for the best and brightest women out there in Australia who really do want to make a difference and whose work can essentially drive the G100's mission around bringing more women uh, and giving them opportunities. Because we already see through all the stats, right, and this is not a men versus women thing, but we know that, When you have economies with women who are more entrepreneurial or who have more leadership, you can see those advance much more and you can see how families develop, how societies and communities develop. So we're kind of taking a little bit of a leaf out of that and and essentially, you know, so I'm inviting anyone listening to you, if you're the best and brightest in your field of any part of the the value chain or the supply chain and you're involved in food and agriculture then i'm looking for you i'm looking for you to come and join this movement and together let's create a way to advance agri-food innovation in australia there's a pitch
1: there's a good pitch and we'll put the the link in the in the show notes for anyone who wants to to get in contact uh, with 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 you uh, and you know Everyone should do that. It's fantastic. One of the things that has come through in this podcast with the women that I've had on the on the show so far, but also other women that I've, I've been reading about, uh, a lot of it comes because they grew up in families where they were told that it's possible. You know that you know the the the, the art of the impossible, if if you like. That you're not a woman. You're not a you know. You're just a human being, and go do it. Do you think that's right? and how do we how do we get that into society? That's a big question. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I'm probably also one of those women who, you know, you. that I also probably grew up with a, a little bit of um, gender stereotypes as well, coming from a Fijian Indian descent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was um, either it was from my immediate family or it was my surrounds, right, in terms of what you could do. Uh, but I, you know, I think it's such a huge opportunity. You know, we, we should always and I always say to myself, we're humankind first, yeah, regardless yeah. of what we look like, what colour we are, or what kind of gender we have, right? And as a human, you can absolutely do anything that is possible. If we if we could teach that in our schools uh, and, you know, do that, but, and, you know, you always, you know, you watch videos of, um, you know, um, um, and there's a whole lot around, um, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion out there, but, you know, still I think, Sometimes I still have to pinch myself to see how stereotypical we are Um, as a society even. Even though we've moved far, we still tend to go back to some traditional norms in terms of, you know, if I say to you, you know, um, name a pilot, would you name a female one or would you name a male one? Well, hopefully that's that's
1: changing. Uh, I mean, I
0: I think it is, but probably slowly, huh? Yeah.
1: Far too slowly. Far too slowly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you do much mentoring, uh, and and what do you, and, and how do you mentor?
0: I do. I I one of the the joys and the energies that I get um, is is through my mentorship. So I I do mentor individuals, uh, and they can be uh, different walks of life and at different levels in their career I also mentor startups um and that's an area that I get a lot of interest in and over time I've also mentored in you know small and medium enterprise sort of um leadership and CEOs as well and that's again again coming from business leadership or innovation as well so I do get a lot of joy it's an opportunity for me to um not just to give back but also be a lifelong student and I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a lifelong student, I always say, so I'm always learning. So even through my mentorships, uh, I'm continuously learning myself as well mm-hmm. um, through that. So it's not always one way, it's actually very much two-way.
1: Yeah, uh, well, a good thing about mentoring is that they, they generally are from a different generation, a different age group and, and so mm-hmm. you learn so much from the way they see the world from From their eyes, you know I agree it's a it's a great way to to mentor. Is it different to mentor innovators?
0: Um, depends I think um, um, and it depends on the area of the need with a, with a mentor with a mentee, right? So um, people you know over over time it's been you know someone who's wanted to work on their career path. Uh, At times it's been about actually I've got a really cool idea that I want to launch in the marketplace and I have no idea how to do that. What (laughs) are the steps I need to go through? Uh, or it could be, you know, I'm having a um, a challenge in, um, leading my team or of individuals who are remote-based versus um, in-based, right? So yeah, yeah. it can be various things. And I think part of the a mentor-mentee relationship really is be purposeful. So similar to innovation, purposeful, right? Okay. Um, and and be, otherwise, it's a nice talk fest, but mm-hmm. I always go, What? So what? Now yeah. what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's got to be you know purposeful, and, and that's individually for me because I I like to make sure that I'm having an impact um, at the end of the day and making a difference, and that's that's the things that drive me personally.
1: Being clear on your purpose, and then just keep asking the next question. So what? So what? Mm-hmm. So what? Yeah. We, we, we need to move on. I said we'd come back to um, sustainability. Recently, we heard the the news of Red Cycle, I think it's called, uh, had ceased operations in Australia. One of the big issues in food, and in fact, all supply chains, is, the, is packaging, the, the amount of waste that we have in packaging. What's happening in that space just in a, in a, in a few minutes? Uh, are we moving towards more sustainable packaging uh, what will happen with red i don't know pick it up wherever you like
0: <laughs> uh look i th- i think you know it was um it's a sorry state to see what's happened with red cycle but um the program is on pause doesn't mean it's gone right so i absolutely believe and hope that it will come back i think there's some other interesting things also happening in this whole um journey of how do we get to less waste from packaging and more sustainable packaging um, formats, if you will. So um, part of the AFGC, we have the NPRS, which is the National Plastic Recycling Scheme, and they've actually started to do a bit of a test with councils around the country. Um, Simplot are also involved in there. Um, And um, part of that is is actually to start to look at how could you segregate um, soft plastics, right? And one of the things, the challenges we have is we all have two or three bins, right? And the segregation tends to be really difficult in terms of how do you separate our plastics from your other material? <laughs>
1: when am, am I, a chemist? I just want to throw the bottle away. Why do I have to yeah. be a chemist exactly. here? Yeah.
0: Well, that's why you have the yellow bin, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, th- there's a reason. And so part of this scheme is actually testing with a, another with with a bag that's given and how we can segregate this out, but a really cool technology is essentially plastic is made up of oils and chemicals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then they make the film, and then we end up in a bag. Um, um, and and essentially now we have a, a technology that's really probably come to bear in the last five years or so, more so in Australia. Um, And we weren't able to do that. So now we're actually our government and our industry um, is investing in this. It's called um, chemical or advanced recycling. So essentially, if you were to take a bag, what it will do is through this advanced recycling process, actually go back to the original oils and chemicals that made um, that plastic. Wow. Wow. So you could take it all the way back out and then from there reuse those oils again to create new plastic.
1: Wow.
0: Right? So there's the great technology. And uh, the journey we need to go through in our country is find a way that we can actually collect the plastics that we have and be able to take it to a location that has that technology so that we can break it down and then go through the cycle again and create new plastic. So almost you're creating a closed loop or circular economy around this, and therefore you should really Reduce the amount of plastic waste that will happen. So that's the exciting thing that's happening.
1: That's that's, that's that's amazing. I feel like we should have spent the whole whole uh, forty minutes talking about the that sort of innovation stuff. That's that's amazing. It all comes down to the consumer at the end. Though we we as humans have to start start saying no more plastic. Stop it. Let's well, just
2: well is out. it no
0: more plastic Ooh. or yeah. is it actually because so back to i want convenience yeah yeah. i want you know health and i want price mm. so how do you want your food
1: no more single use plastic
2: i probably yeah, is, is no, it, is yeah. Quite, yeah.
0: And, and how do you and what is the role of the consumer in helping create that closed loop cycle i think there's a role that everyone, every, I actually say there's a role every actor across the supply chain plays. Mm. And the consumer is equally as important because it's about education, awareness, and the role that they can play to help feed that closed loop cycle. Because if we can't get it from the consumer, how else are you going to? Yeah, right. It's going to become yeah, very yeah. expensive. Yeah. And the minute things become expensive, you know, it becomes prohibitive. Back to we only have, you know, no more than 30 million people eventually, right?
1: There's been some amazing stuff come out of this. The the one that sort of surprised me the most, apart from the plastic, is that we can feed 60 million people and, and we're a, a 22 million country. They're, that's very yeah. exciting. That's very, very exciting. And hopefully, you know, we'll see how that de- develops with positiveness. Uh, we're coming into Christmas. Are we going to have enough food at Christmas time this year, uh, Angeline?
0: Don't don't we ever have enough food in our country? (laughs) I think we're very blessed now um, if you're talking about all of our supply chain woes and and everything. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's challenging out there, right? It's challenging if you think about it from the global supply chain, from geopolitical impacts that are happening around the world. So to be able to get product a to B, or to be able to get the right ingredients to make something. Um, it, it's not easy at the minute across the food sector. And I'm sure I'm not the only one sitting here saying that. Mm. Um, and yes, we will have food. I don't think anyone needs to go out and go, oh my God, panic stations, we won't have food. We'll definitely have food. Um, it's probably the right mix of things as well.
1: As long as we've got beer. I'm a pretty basic guy. <laughs> <laughs> What has um, – it's been wonderful having you on the show. What, what, what does Christmas look like you and your family? Is it uh a dig it away? Are you going to get a chance to get away from from normal life and have a rest or
0: – Yeah, we're going to try to but we do have – we our family, my, uh, my immediate family is all in Melbourne and my husband's all in Sydney so we will definitely be doing the Melbourne-Sydney, oh. not the rivalry but, you know, the – the, the family catch-ups leading in, and then I think my husband and I are trying to, um, yeah, um, get away and have a little bit of a holiday as well. It's the time that we're both off, right, so it'll be nice to actually do that as well.
1: Good to hear you. We need to look after people like you because we need more of people like you. Thank okay. you for your time. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, by the way.
0: Oh, wow, that's so soon. Merry Christmas to you too, James, and Happy New Year. Thank you for the chance to, um, to connect in.
1: It's been a pleasure.